I want you to take your Bibles with me, please, and um, turn to Romans chapter 12. Man, I missed that last week, week four. Welcome to week number one of Summer Shake-Up. Let me say this, this is the second year that we've done this where we have allowed you, the church, to really decide what we do through the month of July by asking you to go back to the previous year, 2011, and take a look at all the series that we did through the year, which I think was about 13. Once you look at those series, then we allow you to vote over the, over the course of about six weeks. You vote on which series that you want to revisit. And then what we do as a staff is we take those series and we kind of repackage them, we retool them, we shake them up, and we give them back to you in a fresh way throughout the month of, of July. And so you voted on your top four. I'm not going to tell you what the top four, four are. I'm just going to tell you what today is. Today we're going to revisit the series Transformed. Now let me say this about the series. It was a very challenging series. It was a four-week series. There is absolutely no way in one talk that I can put together this, really this good rendition of all four weeks. So I'm just going to kind of hit some high spots for you and kind of tell you what was going on in that series. Really, what we did was we dissected one chapter of scripture. It was Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12 is a phenomenal passage of scripture that Paul writes that can actually be broken into about five different sections, theologically speaking. And so that's kind of what we, we did. And I mean, it's just this passage of Scripture that, to be honest with you, is really just a swift kick in the seat of our spiritual pants. Paul was challenging these early Christians to live their lives out loud, showing them how their lives were supposed to look as Christ followers, how their life was supposed to affect others, all of these different nuances that were going on. And inside of this one passage of Scripture, is sandwiched one of my favorite verses in the Bible, but also one of the most heavily quoted verses in Christendom. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 2. I'm going to show it to you. Now let me say this about this verse before we read it, because we're going to explore this verse this morning. But this verse is very heavy. Unfortunately, what we've done as a culture and as humanity is we have taken this verse of Scripture and we've watered it down. We've taken this verse of Scripture and we've manipulated it to fit our lives as opposed to manipulating our lives to fit the verse. We tend to do that with God's Word. We're very selective. We'll pull stuff out of God's Word like His promises. We want to live and, and accept and, and embrace His promises. But when it comes to His obligations, we, we love the privileges but not the obligation. And so sometimes we just kind of water down God's Word to fit our personal agenda. This verse is one of those verses. In fact, here's what Paul writes. He says, Do not conform... Do not what? Do not what? To the pattern of this world. But be what? But be transformed. By the renewing of your mind, then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, and His perfect 
will. I, I, I love this part, and we're going to get to it in a few minutes and just break it apart. But I, I really love what's happening beneath the surface here. Because Paul says that we're to be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now what Paul is saying here, in one sense, is that God's Word has the ability to renew your mind. The more of God's Word that you infuse into your life, the more your mind is renewed. The more of God's Word that you infuse into your life, the more of those ungodly things are filtered out of your life. The more of God's Word that you pour into your life, the more of those things that you don't need leave your life. The more of God's Word that you pour into your life, the more encouragement you have. The more of God's Word that you pour into into your life, the more hope you have. The more of God's Word that you pour into your life, the more help you have. The more of God's Word that you pour into your life, the more direction that you have. I mean, you don't have to shout shout me down this morning. I'm just telling you what God's Word says. It's a renewing thing that many of us, you know, we forget the renewal process of God's Word and we embrace some of the stuff that we leave at the altar. We pick it back up and leave with it. When God says to cast your cares upon Him because He cares for you, He means to cast it and to leave it there. Hello? This is the dynamic that Paul was trying to introduce to the early church, is that because of God's Word in your life, because of your acceptance and your embracing the cross, you have this transforming power in you that has the ability to transform your environment. So when you engage your surroundings, you have this transforming power that will transform your environment. When you engage in conversation with others, if you are living the way God wants you to live, you have this transforming power that will transform their lives. In fact, uh, most of you know that we just got back from a trip to the Dream Center. We took 21 people from the church to go to Los Angeles to work at the Dream Center because... We have started the process of having a Dream Center here. In fact, um, let me just say this. The Dream Center in Los Angeles has named this church as an affiliate to launch a Dream Center on the East Coast. They've given us resources. all It's just some cool stuff that, that is really happening, and I love that. But as we're taking 21 people to Los Angeles, our first leg, our flight was from Raleigh to Chicago and we were flying Southwest Airlines and if you fly Southwest Airlines, you know that it's a first come first serve basis. And so we kind of are a little late as normal and so we didn't necessarily get the best seat. So many of us had to split up and sit with people that we did not know and I sat down with someone I didn't know and we began to engage in conversation and And I asked him what he did for a living, and he told me that he worked in the financial industry. He was a Harvard grad, and he asked me what I did for a living, and I said I work in the spiritual industry. And and Now, let me say this. When you're on a plane and you're flying and you tell someone that you're a preacher, usually one of two things happens. Either the headphones come on, and he ignores you the whole flight, or because you're flying at 30,000 feet and you're out of control and you feel like your life is at risk, you engage in conversation. You sit as close as you can to the pastor. Well, that's kind of what happened in this experience. And, and so we're having this great conversation. And, and really, to be honest with you, I, I almost felt as if he was trying to trap me in some of the hot political issues that are happening in our culture today. And so I was just 
kind of giving him some of the answers the way I saw what the Bible said about those situations. And, and so finally we get to about halfway uh, through the flight, halfway into our conversation, and he asked me this question. He said, if Christ is the only way, if he's the only way to heaven, the only way to a beautiful, eternal life, if he's the only way to a better life, why is it that Christians haven't made a bigger impact? To be honest with you, before I could even think about it, I think the Holy Spirit put an answer in my heart and I gave him this answer. I said, because Christians have allowed the world to influence their relationship with Christ as opposed to allowing their relationship with Christ to influence the world. Let me say that again. Christians have allowed the world to influence their relationship with Christ as opposed to allowing their relationship to influence the world. We've watered down what God's word really means and we've become these conformists we blend in with culture. We become chameleons. We don't want to ruffle anyone's feathers. And so we just hide out like we're in the secret service. That's where Paul was actually going when he wrote Romans chapter 12. In fact, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet. I'm going to read 10 verses out of Romans chapter 12. And... Many of you probably do not have this translation. I never, ever, I should not say I never, ever. Maybe once or twice I have used the message translation. I'm going to use it this morning to read this. Most of the time I don't use the message because I think it misses something in its translation. And, but to be honest with you, I think in this particular chapter it captures some things that I want us to see. So if you don't have this translation with you, just follow us on the screen. Here's what Paul writes. Verses 1 and 2, he says, So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and your walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. My favorite verse. Embracing what He's done for you is the best thing that you can do for Him. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God and you'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. God brings the best out of you. And He develops well-formed maturity in you. Verse 3, I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude for all that God has given me, and especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. And then He says, Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing this goodness to God. In other words, you ain't all that. The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what He does for us, not by what we are and what we do for Him. In this way, we are like the various parts of a human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each one of us or each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of His body. 
but as a chopped off finger or cut off toe, we wouldn't amount to much, would we? (laughs) I love that. So since we find ourselves fashioned into all of these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's just go ahead and be what we were made to be. Without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something that we aren't. That happens in the body of Christ. If you preach, just preach God's message. Nothing else. If you help, just help. Don't take over. If you teach, stick to your teaching. If you give encouraging guidance, be careful that you don't get bossy. If you're put in charge, don't manipulate. If you're called to give aid to people in distress, keep your eyes open and be quick to respond. If you work with the disadvantaged, don't let yourself get irritated with them or depressed by them. Keep a smile on your face. Now that's a hard one. Especially when you're working with people. How many of you can say amen? I hope you're not talking about the person sitting beside of you. Okay, I see we are. Verse 9 and 10 says this. Love from the center of who you are. Don't fake it. Run for dear life from evil. Hold on for dear life to good. Be good friends who love deeply. Practice playing second fiddle. Now that's tough. Back to verse 2 in the NIV. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed, but be transformed, but be transformed. What or who is your life transforming? Who is your life transforming? I want you to think about those that are closest to you. Those people that are closest to you right now, if there could be a movie that would be made about your life, how would that movie play out? If you could fast forward to the end of the movie and, and the people that are closest to you, your friends, your family, your kids, your co-workers, your husband, your wife. If they were asked about you, what would they say about you? <laughs> Pretty funny. <laughs> what would they say? You see, for the Thomasons, it's obvious that God put something in their hearts to transform the lives of three individuals. No matter what the cost. You see, that's what I want to talk to you about today is godly legacy. There is a godly legacy. There is a legacy that God has for you. So the question is, who are you transforming? Let me pray over you. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for today. God, today is about you and you alone. May you take this word, God, and peel back the layers of our hearts and penetrate even the hardest of places, God. God, I don't want to mess up your word. I don't want to take anything from it or add anything to it, God. I'm really just your mouthpiece. I'm not the preacher. The Holy Spirit is the preacher. So today, God, we just ask you to take this word and take it beyond our parking lot and take it into our homes and the marketplace and our job place. Infiltrate and ignite our lives today. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Before you're seated, I want you to high-five the person sitting around you on both sides and tell them, tell them I want a godly legacy. Godly legacy. Come on, godly legacy. As you're seated, I want you to keep your word open. Take out your notes section. I want you to take some notes today. Let me, let me just talk to you momentarily about this, about this legacy thing. Okay, Here, here's, here's something that I want you to understand about legacy so that you'll have some background before we jump back into the text. Legacy, godly legacy, is, it's, it's so important. James, the half-brother uh, of Jesus, he wrote something about legacy in his book, uh, the book of James, that many times I will use in funeral situations. In fact, he asked a question, what is life? And so many times I will use that one passage in a funeral situation because when we go to funerals, we begin to reflect upon the life of the deceased. But not only that, we begin to reflect upon our own lives. So James asks the rhetorical question, what is life? And then he answers the question by saying life is really this mist that is sprayed into the air. It's there for a moment and then it vanishes. Visualize that w- with me. Your life is sprayed into the air. It's there for a moment and then it vanishes. So many times we read that passage of scripture and we interpret it that James actually means that, that life is brief, the brevity of life, the time span of life. But, but I truly believe that James is not necessarily talking about the time span of life. I think that's a secondary issue in that verse. I honestly believe rather than talking about the time span of life, James is talking about the value of that time span. In other words, is your life leaving value? That's the legacy that I want to talk about. Is your life leaving value to those around you? In fact, right now, if I were to say to you, I want you to think about your parents. In fact, you just go right ahead and think about your parents. What are some of the characteristics that come to your mind when you think about your parents? Now, don't shout them out. Just hold on to them. Maybe you're thinking about how they loved you. Maybe you're thinking about how hard they worked. Maybe you're thinking about how they loved you unconditionally, showed you how to give. Maybe they taught you things that today you would have never learned if it were not for them. And you can begin to list tons of characteristics about your parents. That's their legacy. Now I want you to flip that for a minute. What will those that are closest to you say about your legacy? What will those that you work with say about you as a soldier? What will those that you live with, like your wife or or your husband or your kids, say about you as a spouse or as a parent? What will those that are around you say about you? That's the legacy that I want us to embrace today you see i want you to hear something i think this is straight from god's mouth and that is this the value of your life is not determined by how good you are at what you do the value of your life is determined by the impact that you have on others let me say that again i want you to write that down some of you may be taking notes Um, The value of your life is not determined by how good you are at what you do. 
It's not determined by how good of a soldier you are. It's not determined by how good uh, of a businessman you are, teacher you are. It's not determined by how good you are at what you do. It's determined by the impact that you have on others. That's legacy. That's what Paul was writing about when he wrote Romans 12. That's where he was going with this. And the reason for this, and I love this, is because the early Christians... They were not living their lives the way Christ followers ought to live their lives. In fact, they kind of blended in with culture. They had become chameleons. They were living this haphazard way. And and, and because of it, Paul just kind of punched them in the face, if you will, spiritually by saying, listen, you, you can't live like this. And he gave them what I call legacy builders. In fact, he said this, to them in verse 1. Now, I'm just going to look at like a couple of verses with you because that's all we're going to have time to do. And I'll offer you some commentary on these verses. But in verse 1, he said, he said this to them. Now, 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 grab this. Again, they're living however they want. There's no difference between how they live and how non-Christians live. And so he's kind of pointing that out. So he says this. Here's what I want you to do. Now, I want you to take your Bibles... And maybe you did this last year, but right above, here's what I want you to do. I want you to personalize this and write your name right above it. Because Paul's talking to you. Go ahead and do that. I, I want to see the top of your heads looking down, writing. Right? You should bring your Bible to church. So here's what I want you to do. Paul's saying, here's what I want you to do, Rodney. Here's what I want you to do, Mark. Here's what I want you to do, Stephen. Here's what I want you to do, Sarah. Personalize this. He's not only talking to them 2,000 years ago. He's talking to you and I today. Here's what I want you to do. And then he gives them the very first legacy builder. He says this. God, well, first off, let me say this. When he says, so here's what I want you to do, what's interesting about that one phrase is that phrase comes from a Greek term, parakaleo. That Greek term actually means I strongly urge you to do this. It's a command. There's urgency to it. It's a demand. It's, it's this, you have to do this. It's a directive. It's really an order. I strongly urge you to do this. What is it that he wants us to do? Look what he says. He says, take your what? Take your what? I'm not moving until we all read that first word. Take your what? Everyday, ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work. And you're walking around life. That is the very first legacy builder. Is that he is saying that there is a sense of urgency. When it comes to maximizing your everyday walking around life. Fill in the blank. He's saying there's an urgency to maximizing your everyday walking around life. Going to work. Eating. Sleeping. So everything you do. He wants you to maximize that's the, the first thing. But what does he want us to do with our everyday, ordinary, walking around life? Look at the rest of this verse. It says, and place it before God as a what? Place it before God as a what? Now, now, this is where it gets deep. Because up until this time, this was really kind of a new concept. Paul was really talking about, you know, giving up your life as an offering. And, and now they're visualizing Jesus on a cross. And so there's a lot of stuff going on. And, but, but really up until this time, an offering was something that we do on Sunday mornings. 
When, when, the, when the plate comes down the aisle, what, what do we do? We reach into our pocket, because this is the image that he's painting for us. We reach into our pocket and we pull out our cash. We, we pull out our debit cards. We pull out our checks. We pull out our change. And what do we do? We put it in the offering plate. Now grab this. Why do we do that? It's just proof that we are who we say we are. Well, now, hold on a second. Paul's saying that it's deeper than that. He takes it to a whole nother level. He's not saying just put your finances in the offering plate. He's saying put your life in the offering plate. Hello? He's saying put your relationships in the offering plate. Put your marriage in the offering plate. I want you to visualize this with me. Put, put your career in the offering pl- plate. Put, put your, your ego in the offering plate. Put your tongue in the offering plate. Plate. Put the how you raise your kids in the offering plate. There's nothing that's left out. You put everything that you are into the offering plate. Now, what's cool about this verse, and I want you to hang here with me because the more I studied this verse, I found this. The term for offering that he used was this Greek term that we derive the term baby dedication from. Now, here's what's awesome when we do a baby dedication, What do we do? We bring the parents up on the stage. They bring the baby up on the stage. And I hold the baby and the baby spits up on me. And so I I rock the baby and and we talk to the baby and we ooh and gah, gah and all that kind of stuff. And, and, And so, but really, what do we do? We charge the parents. We say, parents, you are coming today saying that you're going to raise this child in a godly way. That you're going to speak into this child's life. You're going to have them in church. You're going to order their steps the way God would have you order their steps spiritually. What they're doing is they're actually taking their baby and they're laying their baby on the altar and saying, God, he or she is all yours. It's this total surrender. That's what Paul is saying about our life. Now that's deep. It's Laying everything that you are. Some of you need to lay your marriage in the offering plate. Some of you need to put your finances in the offering plate, so to speak. Some of you need to put how you're raising your kids in the offering plate. Some of you have have issues with your temper and you need to lay it in the offering plate. Now, some of you this morning are saying, well, you don't, Pastor, you don't know me. And and you don't realize that my life is pretty messed up. I, I, I really can't put anything in the offering plate. Well then, can I say this to you? Maybe you need to back up one step and maybe you need to lay your life on the altar. Maybe you need to surrender your entire life to Christ. Because you cannot, I want you to hear me, you cannot have a godly legacy without total surrender. Not surrendering some things. We're talking about surrendering Everything, not just surrendering a few things. We're talking about surrendering all things. You cannot have a godly legacy without total surrender. In fact, let me just step on your toes really quickly here. Can I tell you some of you what your legacy is right now? Your legacy is what you do in private. When no one else is around and you don't think anyone can see you and, 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 and you don't think anyone's watching you, well, guess what? That's who you are. That's your legacy. Some of you, your legacy, to be honest with you, is what you say when the pressure is on you. When, when the external pressures begin to, 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 to squarely fall on your shoulders and all of a sudden you begin to spew or you begin to act out in a certain way. That's your legacy. 
There are certain things that are happening in your life that you are allowing to define who you are. And Paul's saying you're not to be a conformist, but a transformist. And that transformation begins when you're in private. A side note here that I think is really cool with this verse is Paul kind of gives us this, this hint as to what we're to do. And I love this part. When he says, take your everyday ordinary life, I visualize that Paul is basically saying to us, why don't you start every day with a prayer? A simple prayer. A prayer that says, God, make today count. God, make today count. Because you see, I think what ends up happening in our lives so much is we forget that every day does count. Make today count. When we went to the Dream Center, let me just say this. 21 people walking around the streets of L.A. First off, absolutely crazy in L.A. Some of the stuff that you see is life-altering. Some of the things that you see are forever burned into your mind. Crazy stuff, okay? But as we're walking the streets and as we're ministering to people on Skid Row and as we're picking up trash and and, and some of the hardest areas and some of the most gang-related, violent areas, as we are praying for people, as we are going to the projects, as we are ministering to prostitutes, as we are doing all of this stuff, everyone who is going with us were coming back every day with these stories like, man, you wouldn't believe, and then they would tell us the story. And every morning we'd spend about 45 minutes in devotion and prayer, and then we'd say, okay, what did God do in you yesterday? And, and everybody was just jumping at the opportunity to say, hey, listen, uh, this is what happened yesterday. I met this guy named Jim, and, and, and man, he's been on the street, and he's been homeless for so long and, and and we were able to pray with him and I met this girl and I met this and we were able to pray with these kids and, and we were able to give this family this much food and it was so cool to hear them speak of all of the things that they had done. What was happening is this. Every single day they were making sure that that day counted. You know why? Because they were wanting to make sure that that day counted. They were opening their eyes to the needs that were around them. And because their eyes were so open, they were absorbing things and seeing things that they would not normally see. Some of us, we neglect to do that because we're not totally surrendered. When you do not totally surrender to God, I truly believe that there are these scales that are placed on your eyes and you are only seeing life at half of its capacity. In fact, let me share this with you because I think this is a situation that will help express what I'm talking about. Giving your all. Everyone in here has heard of Joshua. In the Old Testament, God had commissioned Joshua to to go into the promised land. Moses had died, and so Joshua was now to take the people into the promised land. Uh, However, there was really this one huge problem. The promised land was pretty much fortified, or at least Jericho was. Jericho had walls that were impenetrable, the Bible says. In fact, no way in or no way out, really, if, if you were not asked. The Bible even says that Jericho was shut up tightly. So Joshua needing to overtake Jericho, he needed to find out what Jericho's army was all about. So he sent spies into the land to do reconnaissance. 
They scaled the walls, and when they scaled the walls, they ran into this lesser-known character in the story. Her name was Rahab. Rahab puts them up in her house and hides them from the authorities, from the king of Jericho. And they go out and through the city streets and they do reconnaissance and then they come back and hide. And then they go out and they grab all of this intel and then they come back and hide. Well, sooner than later, the king of Jericho found out that they were there. And so he comes to Rahab's house and says, Hey, listen, we're looking for these spies. You know what Rahab did? Rahab sent the king of Jericho on a wild goose chase. You know why? Because Rahab had come to the conclusion that the people of Israel's God was the one true God, not the people of Jericho. And so her life was transformed. And so the people of Israel ended up saying to Rahab, here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to protect you and your family because you've aided us. And so we know the story. Joshua sets the people around the walls of Jericho and they walk around the walls for seven days. The walls come tumbling down. Joshua runs in and takes over the city. It's incredible. All because someone was willing to give her all. All because someone was willing to risk. All because someone was willing to make the day count. Lives were forever changed. Maybe right now you're saying, well, my life's so messed up, Pastor Morgan. Again, I don't have anything to offer. My life is a wreck. My life is it's junk. I, I, God can't use me. Can I, can I tell you something this morning? I want everyone to look at me. That cannot be further from the truth. Because one interesting fact about this story is that I left out on purpose is this. Rahab was a prostitute. But Rahab realized that she didn't want her legacy to be that of a prostitute. So instead she said, I want my legacy to be that of a God follower. She then marries an Israelite. They have two children. Generations later, a king is born out of her lineage by the name of King David. Generations after King David, another king is born and his name is Jesus. All of that came from Rahab, who used to be a prostitute, but now was a God follower, so now she has godly legacy. Do you hear what I'm talking about? Are you willing to give your all? She was. But what was neat about Rahab's life, if you really study her, is that there was some stuff in her that had to die. Number one, some sin. It had to die. So can I ask you this morning, what in your life has to die before you can embrace God's legacy for your life? What has to die? Maybe, again, it's your ego. Maybe it's some secret sin. Maybe you're not the father that you need to be and so you need to allow those things to change. Maybe you have some tendencies that are not God-ordained and you need to get rid of those things. What needs to die? Maybe it's your tongue. What are the things in your life that need to die? Now, listen, I want you to truly inspect your life. Don't just listen to these words and just let them go over your head. Because you want God's legacy for your life. What needs to die so that God can live totally in your life? You see, we have an urgency to maximize our everyday walking around life. Here's the second thought. 
The second thought comes out of the next part of this verse. And that is verse uh, 1. Um, then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, is good, uh, pleasing. Go back to the message, please. Um, okay, verses 1. So it says, um, what does he want us to do? And place it before God as an offering. Here we go. Embracing. Pick up embracing. It says, embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can what? The best thing you can what? There is this call to action. There is this call to do, do, do. The best thing that you can do. The best thing that you can do. The best thing that you can do. You see, another legacy builder is to do what God wants you to do. What does he want us to do? Look at the rest of this verse. Go to the next part. What does he want us to do? Now, this is a shot across the spiritual bow, so to speak. He says, don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Oh, hold on a second. This is a legacy killer. This will kill your legacy. Don't become so well adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You know what he's saying? He's saying this. He's saying when conformity becomes normalcy in your life, your legacy will die. When you conform to the ways of this world, your godly legacy will die. Conformity becomes normalcy, your legacy will die. Now, now, pause here with me for a minute and let me talk to you about some of the things that have become normal in our culture. Because our culture has begun to embrace things that God never intended for us to, to have as normal parts of our lives. Think about how you live your life and the pace that you live your life at. Some of you are living at dizzying paces. Your schedules are so overcrowded. That's become the norm in your life. Some of you, the norm has become the, the Xbox and the PlayStation 3 raising your kids. The norm in our culture has become financial debt that is so large that we cannot see our way out. The norm in our culture is a husband and a wife becoming strangers under the same roof all because they've been so busy they haven't spent any intimate moments together. The norm in our faith, now this is what's scary, has become this. There's really two types of people that you see in our culture today. You see those who fully reject God and then you see those that I call Christian atheists. We know what it means to fully reject God. Let me explain to you what a Christian atheist means. That means that you say that you're a Christ follower, but yet you live as if He does not exist. Hello? Isn't it quiet in God's house today? We say that we're Christ followers. We say that we love Jesus, but yet the fruit of your life says something otherwise. You live in such a way as if He does not exist. And you know what happens when we do that? Look at the rest of this verse. It says, readily recognize what He wants from you and quickly respond to it. When you conform to the world, you cannot recognize what he wants. 
Hello, listen to me now. I know this is deep, but you cannot recognize what he wants from you and you cannot quickly respond to it. That's why we have a 51% divorce rate in our culture. Because we're conforming to the world. That's why there's a 20% poverty rate in Cumberland County alone. That's why there's 2,000 homeless people in Cumberland County. That's why today there are over 800 kids wrapped up in foster care in Cumberland County. That's why drug abuse is at an all-time high. Domestic violence is at an all-time high. Because we're not recognizing the need and responding to it. Because we're too busy conforming to things that are not of God. Wow, I thought maybe you would um, be more excited about that. I know it's challenging, but you picked this series, not me. (laughs) Just being honest with you. I don't know why you picked it, but you did. You know what? Paul, who wrote this, he wrote something else in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. We're getting ready to close. Acts 20, verse 24. He wrote this. You don't have to turn there. It's on the screens. It says, however, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given to me. The task of testifying to to the gospel of God's grace. In other words, he's saying my life is worth absolutely nothing unless I finish what God has asked me to do. Honestly, some of you have some unfinished business in your life. What is the unfinished task? Maybe it's something big. Maybe it's something small. You know what God is saying to you today? Do something about it. Some of you, let me, let me just be specific with you. Some of you today, you have a relationship that is broken and you haven't been doing anything about it. God is saying, do something about it. Some of you are hanging out with people who have some needs and you have the resources to meet those needs and God is saying, do something about it. Some of the fathers in this place today have been challenged Maybe today and other days to be a better father. God today is saying do something about it. We hear the needs of our community, of our city. How in the world can we sit on our hands when God is saying do something about it. Do something about it. Do something about it. 